Welcome to another episode of the Picablo Radio. This time an amazing episode about kids' education using visuals. And before we hop in today's episode with Melaine de Cruz from Pakistan, I would like to tell you a story about something we are now exploring to do. So in the past we ran two days training classes and in the training room we often said the third day of the training is the most important one. And the people roll their eyes and wonder, what is the third day? It's a two days training. So the third day is the first day back at work when you are there and you have to apply the skill. In the past, we basically let you a bit down by leaving you out of the training room, exploring it for yourself. We have a community on LinkedIn as well as on Slack and you get feedback there. But this is clearly not enough and now we found a solution. So what we do now is instead of running a two days training going forward, we will run a 60 days graduation program. That means in the first two days of the graduation program is the Picablo basics, the powerhouse and the visual skills you learn there in two days that has transformed so many careers so far. But the 58 days after that you check in twice with our visual coaches and present some work you have done and we help and give feedback remote via zoom so this helps you to really get started and that you get your investment back for the training you paid for I hope this sounds reasonable and if you feel like hey I went to the training how can I join the group coaching as well you can And if you think you can't make the dates when we propose them, you can also have a one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions as well. So check our website for this and we look forward to have you in the group coaching session. We are excited to do that and we hope that you have fun and change your life with visualization. And without any further say, let's go over to the interview with Melaine de Cruz from Pakistan. Melaine de Cruz has been a visual thinker all her life. Through her school years and her career, she always took visual notes and doodled to focus and to remember ideas. She didn't know that there was actually a professional field for visual thinking until one day when she discovered the TED Talk from Sunny Brown, Doodlers Unite. She read the book, subscribed to an online course from the Doodle Institute, read several books and through that became a very good sketch noter. She even got invited by the Harvard Business School to publish a blog post after visualizing one of their online courses. However, her main application for visualization and visual thinking is not at work. Her main application is in the field of educating her kids. Melaine has two amazing boys who are much faster understanding and accessing information when seeing them visually. She started to visualize ideas together with the boy and through that they could memorize the content easily. The other boy stammered from time to time and with visual clue cards she could remind her boy to slow down whenever they stumbled. Today both boys doing fine and we talk more about ideas how we can educate kids visually. In summary, this episode is a statement to believe in yourself, follow your passion and let no one take you down. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Melaine de Cruz from Karachi, Pakistan.
Welcome to another episode of the Picablo Radio. My name is Marcel and I have the honor to welcome Melaine de Cruz from Karachi in Pakistan. Uh, welcome, Melaine. Thank you so much for having me uh, on this podcast, Marcel. My, my pleasure. Awesome to, ha to have you. Um, we have 10 a.m. in the morning in, in Germany. Australia just about to go to bed. It's 7 p.m. in Brisbane and 8 in Melbourne. But what time is it in Karachi? It's... It's in the afternoon? It, yes, it's about 2.30 uh, in the afternoon in Karachi. All right. And uh, Karachi is next to the, um, to the ocean, right? It's like it, it's, can, can you describe where do you live uh, in Karachi? So I live in the, in the Garden East area in Karachi. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, we are on the coast. I probably have to drive an hour, an hour and a half to get to the coast. The weather here is, uh, is uh, warm and dry. And uh, we're feeling a bit of the Karachi winter. So we're, we're hoping for colder weather because Karachi is usually very, very hot. Mm -hmm. What do you have? 30 degrees or what, what's the temperature right now? Uh, it's around 30, 32 degrees. Yeah. I would like to swap with you. This is zero degree <laughs> outside here. So it's really nice. <laughs> okay. Melaine, you, you're, you work in the field of educational management, right? Like you. That's right. You. <laughs> You have a background in uh, like education and uh, I would like to know a bit like uh, uh, I think it's important to introduce you like where you come from. So if we go this field of your career backward and maybe start even in the in the time where you would grow up. Like can you describe the situation and how you, then from there how we made your way up into your job that you do today? Okay. My first job was... Uh um, I started off working as a music instructor in a school. So this was right after I did my bachelor's in commerce. I then uh, joined a bank and I worked for three and a half years as a junior executive in a bank. And I did my MBA while I was uh, working. After three and a half years, I joined the Aga Khan University Institute for Educational Development. And I have worked my way up the ranks moving from position to position. The first job that I had at the AKUIED, uh, that's the acronym for the, for the university, uh, was in the open and distance learning unit. So at the time, the institute was looking at offering open learning courses for teacher development, uh, for teachers who couldn't come to the institute and for those who were not able to have access, physical access to the university. So we did a lot of print production. Uh, we had a, a discussion forum up and we would have people discuss their learning on the website. It was a closed website, uh, but that was a really good experience. Soon after that, I took on the position of assistant manager e-learning to lead the e-learning initiative at uh, the institute. So that went on for six years. I gained a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge in the world of e-learning. I set up, uh, of course, with the leadership and with the team, uh, different courses on Moodle. And we taught teachers how to use Moodle. We taught our faculty how to use Moodle and how a course environment works, how a virtual learning environment works. We implemented that. And then towards the end of the six years, I just felt that I needed a change of scenery. I needed a change of job. And uh, my, my younger son was uh, not keeping too well at that time. So I was looking out for a part-time opportunity. And so I left AKU for a little while and I, I joined a school 
as an educational counselor. I worked there for six months and then uh, another position opened at the same Aga Khan University Institute for Educational Development. And the position was to lead its professional development center in Karachi, uh, which is embedded within the institution. And it focuses on teacher development to improve the quality of education. So I worked in this position for, for three years. Uh, we developed a number of continuing education programs for teachers over the span of uh, the three years that I worked as the lead. I think we offered over 80 or 90 courses. Uh, we brought in a footfall of more than 700 uh, CPD students. Uh, so it was a very good experience for me. I got to know a lot of schools, a lot of teachers, a lot of systems. And then I was uh, I was actually promoted to manager planning and operations. So under planning, my, my job is to work very closely with the director and the faculty to work out institutional plans, work out strategy, work out with finance, look for funding opportunities. So there's a whole plethora of things to do there. Mm -hmm. And the other part of my portfolio is to look after the operations of uh, the entire institute that includes administration and HR and finance and you know, like it's a whole yeah. package deal. <laughs> when I listen to you, this, is, this sounds like 20 years plus of experience in education, in the field of education. Is this right? Like, that, that's right. That's yes. right. I've been at IED so you for, start I think, a, a little more than 16 or 17 years. Yes. 17 years. Right. Amazing background, like in, 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 this, in this, this field. And if you look back to that, that time, like, and our episode is, it looks for like, how do we educate our children? How do we educate our, our kids? Like, based on the 16 years plus you, you had experience in the field, like, if you, mm. if you would get asked, like, what are the, the, the main points that is important for little boy or little girls, like, as well as then, like, later high school and then, like in, in university, like could you highlight a couple of things you find they are absolute important for kids that they learn or in ways say how they learn? Yeah, I think it's very important for us as teachers and as educators to understand that every child is different and every child learns in very different ways. So at present, the state of affairs of education in Pakistan, most schools uh, stress on rote memorization. So the student goes to the class, the teacher delivers content, and then the child has to regurgitate the information at assessment time, and then, and then grades are given, and that's it. So the focus is more on assessment and on getting the right kind of grades, and it is less on learning. And I think personally that every student learns differently, and it is up to the teacher and the parent to understand what are the child's learning needs, and then, you know, you, you have to tailor uh, the learning style for each child. So in my case, I'll give you an example. AKUIED has always been very encouraging towards its staff and in particular to me in learning and growing. So uh, I was very, very fortunate and I was awarded the Commonwealth uh, Scholarship from the Commonwealth Scholarship Commission to go and study at the Institute of Education, University College London. So I did my Master of Arts in Educational Planning, Economics and International Development from there. And that, that was like a formal degree in which I got a lot of support. Mm -hmm. But then throughout the 16 or 17 years that I've been with, with uh, this institution, they've always encouraged me to learn and to grow. And to learn to grow and then to pass on this knowledge to others. So 
if you ask me what how we need to address how people learn is to identify the best strategy for learning and for me the best strategy for learning has been to visualize my thinking yeah and i've realized that that has worked for my kids too and for a lot of others i've seen that it has worked for them as well so in this way like some children learn by reading something some learn by visualizing something so using different modalities is a, like you need to get the access right like i can Absolutely. I, i can i can say about myself like uh, if i would have known visual thinking earlier in my um, high school years i probably would have been a better student and um, you you are um, hit the spot there with that the schools are still very uh, focused on uh, learning like remembering something and then basically preparing that for the test It's not right. focused for learning something and learning a new skill. It's more like that you can test that, right? So it's a system for for selecting the students to be promoted to a better level or separated in different levels. And in this way of of in like later in life, was it for you something you you said that that was a challenge for myself, like in in school, and because of that you went into the field of education, or how do you pick the education field in the first place? I came upon the education field quite by chance. At the time I was working at a bank and I was I realized after working three years there that working in a bank is not really the thing for me. Uh, although I was very good at doing what I did. I was extremely good with numbers. I uh, I think I got tired of it and I just didn't feel passionate about it. Mm. And so I started looking at at other places to work and I remember at the time somebody told me that there was a job opening at a university and I was like, "Hey, you know, that is something that i might be interested in and hence i i applied and i got the job but that was like a chance incident i didn't intentionally uh, look for a job in in education so yeah and and uh, uh, if if you ask me about my past and my experience with visualizing my learning i think i've always been uh, a doodler <laughs> right from the beginning i think i've always been drawing and illustrating stuff in my books i never realized that it was actually a thing until very recently and that's when i started digging deeper and i said oh my goodness this is something that i've been doing all my life and i've never i've never known that it's a thing and it was so exciting for me to find this path Melaine, from your education field, you said like you, you you have always been a doodler. Like, have you then applied that in your career, like in the field of e-learning? You said like you had you have developed like your your career there, or was it more in the in the private field? And maybe you start with the university and and this this edu field of education. Have you used then visualization there? So I I actually discovered uh, that doodling was a thing in late two thousand and thirteen. I have always like I said I've always been doodling and drawing and I remember even far back in my job whenever somebody came to me with a problem or if there was a meeting I would always have a notebook and a pen ready to jot down ideas and you know I used to draw boxes and arrows and I used to walk up to the whiteboard and draw and stuff but I never really knew it was a thing till 2013 and how did I discover that it was a thing I just happened to come by Sunny Brown's uh, TED talk on doodling Mm-hmm. And Unite, uh, yes, Doodlers mm-hmm. Unite. And then I bought her book and I read it. And then I discovered uh, the Doodle Institute. And I took one of my first online classes on visual thinking with Diane Black. And uh, this is what set me off towards visual thinking. While I have used it quite a bit in my professional life, 
at work, people say that I'm a doodler mm-hmm. and I'm a visual thinker, but I don't do uh, visual thinking professionally. I think it has been more meaningful for me in my personal life. So at that time, I, I was also struggling to find ways in which I could better teach my son who was struggling with his studies mm-hmm. and visual thinking and uh, what I had learned from Sunny Brown's talk and from the Doodle Institute appealed to me in a big way because in that I saw a tool to help my son with his learning. Yes. Uh, so I've not only used it with him, consequently, uh, I've attended a number of training programs and workshops because I love to learn. So I've been doodling my learning uh, all through. And one example is um, uh, I recently completed a course called Disruptive Strategies from Harvard HBX. And during the entire course, you know, I used to I used to doodle in my notebook and I used to take a picture and share it with the people in the group. It was an online course. Mm-hmm. And uh, somehow the, the Harvard HBX administrators picked up my notes and they wrote to me and they said, do you mind if we feature you on our Harvard HBX uh, student blog because we want to showcase <laughs> the way you visualized your learning? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. And that's just one example. But but throughout, I've just been the kind of person who's always been visualizing what I've learned. And I've, and I've used visualizing in a big way with, with my kids. Milan, before we go there, I think you, you, you mentioned a point that is absolute um, essential, like how it, how it can go, right? Like you, you mentioned that you, you did this online course and you did your sketch notes on that. And you sh- then you made one step that's like you shared your notes to someone. And and this is the the one step then from doodling for yourself to uh, when you show it you you immediately create v- um, added value on top of it that the people can see it then if you make this decision everything from there <laughs> I wanted to say it's history but like the it becomes like a like a stone that rolls downhill right like the people see it it's useful and people pick up on it and uh, you get you get retweeted or you get like you get in this case featured on a blog post this is something that i always say in our trainings and i think um, the doodle institute would not, would absolutely agree with that it's like if you just make this one step and share it there's a big thing that happens then from there if you like that you can actually start your career as a graphic recorder pretty much because like they are like a, as a visual facilitator right like the the people see it and they want to grab it because it's so accessible and and so easy to understand how, how was I, this feature then on the blog post what was the response of that i always like to, to listen to success stories like how that happens then yeah well i was actually very taken aback when they wrote to me because i wasn't expecting it at all i mean like oh my goodness these are my notes and people want to publish them mm-hmm. um uh, but i mean i was excited and i sent them scanned images of everything uh, but the response was very good because uh, they started sharing the blog on their social media websites and i think there was a very very good response at the time if i recall correctly i think uh, more than 100 people uh, might have liked it and retweeted it and number one i was able to put something together Number two, I was able to share it. And the third and the best thing, the best compliment that I got from one of my fellow students was, they said, you know what, we've we've downloaded your images and we have a PDF file on our desktop because when we are preparing for our exams, we have your notes ready to refer to. So that was a big compliment for me because I had condensed lots and lots of content into bite-sized images, uh, which, were, which were very easy to consume. So... Yes. 
a lot of and a lot of discussion came from the notes that I had created in the discussion forums in uh, Harvard HPX's online platform. So so yes, I can say that the response was really good, and uh, I really enjoyed interacting with the with my fellow classmates. And you know, while they spoke about my notes and and they wanted to know how I did it, and mm-hmm. they wanted my my Twitter handle and they wanted my LinkedIn uh, address, everybody wanted to add me on LinkedIn. So mm-hmm. it was a, it was a very interesting experience. The value you you described so well, like the it's easy to accessible, easy to remember, and the people pick up on that. And so that's something we we should pass on always that people start doing that more because I, I think. I feel sad about it when people just uh, hold it into in their notebook and keep it to themselves. Of course, it should, like it's a difference between a diary and and sketch notes, right? But like the um, if the people then uh, see it and and they can use it, it, it looks great. And your notes absolutely look great. And we put them in a show note, the HBX uh, business blog, and then you can the people can and look at your notes as well. Um, cool. Thank you. After you you finished this course at Doodle Institute, um, you, you felt you said like you 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 had the feeling you you have a tool in your hand to help your son. Like, what can you describe that? What what was the what was the situation about, and what did you do? As far as I can remember, the first time was when my older son was in grade four, and we were prepping for his exams, mm-hmm. and he was trying to memorize some content. And for the life of him, the poor guy was not able to memorize the content. And I was like, you know, you know what we'll do? We're going to draw it out. And we just took an A4 sheet of paper. We grabbed some markers, colorful markers, and we just drew the content. And if I'm not mistaken, it was a science lesson on teeth. <laughs> I, I, I might have a sketch note of that saved somewhere. I can send it over to you. Mm-hmm. So it started off with that, uh, with that. and uh, you know, Marcel, My son had been struggling with that content to memorize it for about half an hour. But once we went through that exercise where we visualized the content, he was able to take it in and uh, describe it to me in under three minutes. So that is huge because where was this before? I mean, I could have done so much with him before. And I think that was the turning point for me and also for my son. And then, of course, with the younger one, I already knew what to do. So I started him off right from the beginning. So I encouraged them that when they write content, they should also illustrate it on the side. And so, you know, they are also uh, very big on uh, drawing in the margins and drawing in their notebooks. Initially, uh, the teachers were a little annoyed and a little skeptical. And they would send me notes saying, please ask your child to stop scribbling in the books. And so I had to go and meet the teachers and tell them that, you know, this is how my child learns. And so please allow them to keep scribbling in their books because this is how they make meaning of the information that you're putting out there for them. So that was the turning point for me. So did they say okay, or what happened then? Like I think there's this problem often in school that it might be seen as distracting or not listening proper, while in in reality they actually stay focused and and remember more. How was this conversation? How the, how did they went down? So initially, Marcel, when I when I went to speak to the teachers, uh, they wouldn't buy the idea, and they were it distracts the child, and he's not paying attention, and. He's not looking at me when I speak. and But I think it took two or three meetings with the teacher. And then when they saw my child's progress, they backed off. And uh, now when my kids uh, draw in their books, they actually look at that diagram or that mind map or that 
or whatever it is that they draw with a lot of interest. And sometimes, and please to tell you this, that sometimes they even put a star next to it and they add to it, like they'll put arrows to try and explain the concept further. So I think that those initial conversations were very helpful. And uh, the teachers, at least the teachers who I've been talking to, have been able to understand that my children's learning needs are are different. And so that so that's how it developed. And now uh, most of their teachers accept uh, them the way they are, and they accept the fact that they draw all over their books, and it's fine. So I'm happy about that. So when when did it start? How old were your kids when you introduced visual thinking on sketchnoting in, um, or doodling in their books? And how long in the past is this? Like, how old are they now? Uh, my oldest son, I started him off when he was uh, eight. Mm -hmm. And he's 13 today. And uh, my younger son, uh, I think I've started him off from birth. <laughs> so he, he's he's had a crayon and a marker in his hand right from the beginning for mm -hmm. for as long as he's been able to hold something he's had a pen or a or a marker in his hand and he's been drawing all over the place i used to paste a paper on the floor as one of his activities when he was a toddler so he used to keep scribbling on that and he and he still draws everything mm -hmm. <laughs> now and and they continue to do it to this day the, the younger one is seven I tell you like something, I, I have an older uh, daughter, she's uh, my stepdaughter, she's 12 now, but when she was very young, like not very, let's say around six or seven, we, we listened to audiobooks that were above her age a bit, uh, but, but uh, I enjoyed those and uh, she wanted to listen to them as well, it's like private investigator stories for kids, but she didn't understand all the, all the people in, in those stories. And then what we did, because there's like too many names and it's like for an, like an adult, like you, you, you listen to a lot of the rings, you just get confused with all the heroes in there. And, mm -hmm. and in, a, in a similar way. So what we did is like we visualized on a big sheet of paper every time on, on the floor while we were listening this, the story, just using markers. And mm -hmm. she just could follow immediately and understood everything. And it was actually like fun and, and you could concentrate better to listen to the story while you were visualizing that. So it's like an, a kid's version of a graphic recording. And mm. uh, she really zoomed into that and just listened to uh, that. For Germans, uh, it's a Drei Fragezeichen, which is like a very old traditional private investigator story for kids. Have you have you done something else like like for memorizing things for school, but like just for fun, like and to maybe solve problems? Have you have you any experience in this field with your kids? What have you done as well? Yeah, so yes, uh, Marcel, that that's really fantastic. And so we basically use visual thinking in almost every subject. So, for example, when when we study history, we draw out timelines. When we study Urdu, which is the national language of Pakistan. We do picture and word associations. When we study literature or when we are studying characters, we draw the characters and we mind map their characteristics all around. When we study geography, we draw out geographical areas, countries, people. And when we do science, we draw out experiments. And so I think there is an application for visual thinking across so many different fields. And it, it applies almost everywhere. Other than education, I've also used uh, visual thinking with my younger son, who started off with a speech disfluency when he was uh, three and a half. Mm -hmm. And our struggle was that the therapist we used to take him to spoke in Urdu. And because uh, we predominantly speak in English at home, he wasn't able to understand the language. So you can imagine that 
the therapy sessions weren't going all that well because he couldn't understand the therapist and the therapist couldn't understand him. And it was becoming a, a big a big mess, actually. And then uh, I was also a student on the Doodle Institute at the time. And um, one of my fellow students happened to be a speech therapist. And I remember talking to one of uh, them and she got back to me and she said, you know, uh, language could be a barrier in speech therapy. And what you could do is uh, study speech therapy yourself and then sort of do the therapy with your child yourself at home. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that, Marcel, very, very deeply. So I went, I embarked on this self-study mission to teach myself speech therapy. And I visited a ton of websites. I looked at a lot of books and I came up with a with a sort of a method where I could use visuals to connect with my child and help him with his speech disfluencies. So, you know, I used to draw out contextualized flashcards to work with him. There were some speech therapy exercises, which we used to do visually, and he would draw and I would draw. And it was a good bonding exercise, uh, I mean, for a parent and a child. But I would I also got a deeper understanding of what the issue actually was. And over a span of uh, eight months, I'm happy to report that my younger son does not have speech disfluencies anymore. So the stammering has gone. Uh, Yes, he speaks a little slower than usual, but there is no sign of stammering. So I think that parental involvement, that interest and that visualization, I think that was a good combination to sort of help him. Can you dig in a bit? Can you, I want to say, visualize that in front of our inner eye a bit more, like those flashcards or the things you do? Can you give an example of what you, what you, what practice you felt like it was most effective or one that was effective you felt um, that you did with your child? So, you know, children have a tendency to speak very quickly. And yeah. the struggle was to get him to speak slowly so that he wouldn't stammer. And so I drew picture cards of, um, You know, the, the tortoise and the hare story. The tortoise and the hare story is that the tortoise is slow and the hare is fast. And I would hold up the cards and I would say that don't be the hare, be the tortoise. So don't run like the hare, walk like the tortoise. So, mm-hmm. And I would, I would sort of get him to speak slowly and take a deep breath before speaking. So and you I show even, him the flashcard of the tortoise and that it yes. walks across the floor and it yes. basically was a, re- a visual reminder to speak slower? Absolutely. So when I wanted him to speak slower, I would hold up the tortoise flashcard. So he would immediately know that he needed to slow down and that mm. helped him put his thoughts together and then speak. So that's just one example. And then there was a, there's another example where uh, we were going through some breathing exercises and I had uh, done these flashcards of breathing exercises. So how many breaths? One, two, three. How long? One, two, three. So, you know, uh, I would hold up the cards and then I would sit with him and we would do the ex- the breathing exercises together. So the therapy was basically aided with visuals. And I think that really helped. In, uh, let me try to understand what that means. You were basically teaching him how to calm down, to breathe uh, like slower by showing him like cards that said inhale, exhale, or what, what was it on it? Let me try to understand that. It seems like a, an amazing thing. Yeah, so I would have these, uh, I drew these little characters which had arrows going into their nose and coming out from their mouths. Nice. So breathe in and breathe out and take it deep. So, you know, I would show like the maybe the chest rising 
and the shoulders going up. So, you know, I, I drew these little flashcards. So when he would see it, he would know that, oh, okay, so now we are supposed to do this exercise. So that was how I was able to get through to him because he was three and a half. I, I mean, I didn't know what other way to help him understand breathing exercises. Amazing. It, it, it's, <laughs> uh, it makes total sense because like it gives you another uh, channel, right? To access, you don't have to speak because it's not very helpful when you try to almost meditate with your child, right? If you see the visual clue what to do next, that's um, you can stay silent and relax, right? It makes total right, sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I have done uh, something uh, with Elena when she was younger. That was, and I think we'll do definitely the same with Liam when he, yeah, he's 16 months now. So it takes a bit. But to get dressed in the morning, I'm not sure whether you have heard about it, but there's a, there's a visualization technique comes from uh, product management. It's called Kanban. So basically mm -hmm. the idea of Kanban is you, you have a cards that represent a, a piece of work and you visualize yes. that in order, what's the right order, and then you yep. put them on to done. In, in this way, like you put on your, your pants first before you pull the card into doing that says shoes on. So mm -hmm. in this, it sounds like a simple, uh, funny thing, but it actually visualizes the success or the, the reaching the goal. So I didn't do this for like how you get dressed in the morning. There was a like that was a visual checklist with um, a drawings on what to do. Yeah, mm -hmm. because that what what happens is that you you argue with your child, um, <laughs> and that creates stress in the morning while That's just true. pointing at a at a at a task board and saying brush your teeth. <laughs> yeah, take that one. Uh, so it's uh, like yeah. it's like more words often just bring more words back in reply. That's true. That's and, true. And with that, which was just like, um, hmm, look at the list, everything done or not? Any things in this way you have, you have experienced? Like, like it will probably be the, the area of a process or like anything you like you visualizing any, any to-dos or processes? Yeah. So, uh, Marcel, you'll be interested to know that we do something uh, similar at home, but we call it our morning routine chart. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have like a chart and I've got uh, icons. And uh, as they go through their morning routine, they check off the icons on the whiteboard. So I have a similar uh, system in place. And I tell you, it works like a charm. <laughs> so and to help me out a little bit, I also indicate time so that along with the picture, they know uh, how much time they have for each activity because uh, uh, they head out for school pretty early. Mm -hmm. So we wake them up at 6.15 and they have to be out of the house by 7.20. Uh, so we only have this much time. So we try and make it a little more time bound and it works like a charm. I tell you, it's like the best thing ever. And the thing is like when they have the shoes on and then had already eaten or what, and like you're ready to go. If there's the last card, you can use the rest of the time to uh, play or with something you like they always like to do. Um, yes. They are quicker done than you can imagine. Yeah, that's right. So you add that little incentive. Yes. Uh, towards the end and yeah and yeah, yeah it works works like a charm yeah the, the another thing i, I had done uh, was like in that was a bit later i think you were eight or something uh, like starting to clean the room and and what to do mm. to clean the room like there's some process right you, you you look for all the lego stones and and when they are done then um, you look for the next thing, all the pens, you put them all in one. So you scan the room through that and you can actually, what we did is um, you visualize those to-dos and the last card when pretty much like a vacuum cleaned the floor, done, 
And then the last yes. cut is we watched we watched the Friday movie together on iTunes or something. Yes. So, and it not only works for you, it works for me, and I'm sure it could work for a lot of parents out there. I, I, I'm absolutely believe that true, too. Yeah. The, the the thing that if you if people look for that more, if, if you Google for kids barn, it comes from Kanban, but basically, uh, kids barn for, to educate kids with visual clue cards in this way. Uh -huh. Okay. Um, and uh, you you said it, it works for not only for us. It works also for me. Like when I yeah. when I run like with my mates, the, the visual friends, we have visual cards as well, which is a Kanban board, right? Like, so we, there's right. no big difference. Visualizing the work we do is essential, like <coughs> at least in my field or for my way I work. So I think your your child is actually ahead of the game with with those skills. And yeah, it's it's essential that everyone can visualize like work process, team contracts, whatever, and in, in offices. That's true. So you can bring that back to corporations level and they already know more and then later hear about agile and agile project management and so on. And they will basically say, well, I did this my whole life. That's true. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, Marcel, what I think is that uh, kids are, are natural doodlers. They are natural visual thinkers. And I think we need to keep encouraging them to uh, doodle and draw. Because yeah. what I've noticed is that for most kids, although when they're very young, they're always carrying around their little sketchbooks and their pens, but something goes wrong in middle school and they tend to not draw. Maybe they feel that their drawings are not good enough or it's childish or something goes wrong there. And I'm trying very hard to not let that happen to my kids. So I have in my house, there's a whiteboard in every room, there are sketchbooks and notebooks all over the place that they're markers and pens and pencils everywhere. So uh, we use visuals all over the house. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about how I actually came to be very passionate about art and about uh, visual thinking. And I speak from the perspective of a child. So I don't have a, a formal background in art, but I've always, always loved art. And uh, later on in life, did manage to do a diploma in illustrating children's book from the London Art College. It was an online course, but everything else that I've done is self-taught. In middle school, my art teacher, in fact, actually told me that I would never amount to being an artist. Mm. <laughs> And I guess she was right in, in some sense. I mean, I haven't really become a professional artist. I mean, I don't have my art hanging up in art galleries and, and stuff, but I never stopped following my passion, uh, which was to draw. And I persisted. I persisted with my passion. I kept drawing, I kept investing in art books, I invested in art courses online. And uh, the breakthrough for me was, uh, as I said, in 2013, when I discovered that doodling is a thing. And that's when I started studying books, which were authored by Sunny Brown, Dave Gray, mm -hmm. Austin Cleon, Dan Rome, Tony Buzan, Mike Rohde. And uh, in addition to the Doodle Institute, I also enrolled in courses which were offered by Curious Minds, the Visual Note-Taking 101 course by Sunny Brown, the Verbal to Visual Classroom by Doug Neal, IQ Doodle, Sketchbook School, and I collected a ton of resources for my reference. So I just felt that if I go back all those years and I reflect, if I had been that child who had given up, I would never have been the millennium that I am today. So in a way, my message to kids is that never ever let anyone dissuade you from doing something that you're passionate about. And uh, you can pretty much 
be whatever you want to be. You don't have to be perfect at it. You just have to be persistent about your passion. So I, I just wanted to put that out as my message to kids all over the world. Yes, I think that's absolute spot on. It's absolute so right. I think the problem in in high school when I, when I was just listening, thought about what what would Elena do, and in, in she's now in grade six. I think the problem is when they go to uh, through puberty that they want to blend in. They don't want to be visible almost in school. They just want to be part of of the whole group and don't stay outside. It comes later, like probably. In this regards, when you visualize your notes. They are so easy to access and so easy to understand that you become very vulnerable, right? And, and in the same way, this is the opposite of what any teenager would, would like to be in this time frame, right? So I, I think if you did the education before puberty and, and you set those strong impulses and imprints in their mind there, they will not forget that later, But like there is a period, I think, where they deny to visualize things and they just want to write text because it's like the, the study thing. Mm. Yeah? yeah. And I'm not sure whether you can, it would be nice to know whether there's anyone who can say like, I'm, I'm, I'm succeeding with that. But I think in some ways there is a time where they just forget about that and then later come back to that. Yeah, that's, that's roughly, in some ways, if you change the school system, you would embrace like everyone is themselves, follow their passion, uh, follow your, your inner voice, what, what's the right thing, and you would completely purge out any judgment of someone else i'm not sure how that's possible because we are judge mm. we are humans judge all the time right True. um then that might have a chance but i think in some ways this period is also to, like who I, i am and how do i fit in the system of the school and then i think in wider society when you go through puberty and the thing i think there is that it probably takes a bit of Yeah, like anything that you make yourself vulnerable would be would be forgotten or would be put aside for the time. And later then they come back to visual thinking. You have two boys, right? The older one is 14 or how old is he? Yes, I have two boys. The older yeah. one is 13. 13, yes, right. So similar age. Is he still likes to visualize in school or would you say he's like he's putting that aside right now? Uh, no, he, he continues to visualize in school because I've given him... I've sort of given him the license to draw. <laughs> so he continues to draw. But I'm not sure if there are other parents out there who or other teachers out there who are encouraging children in their classroom to draw. So, yeah, my kids draw. So is there any any pushback or so from other students uh, that he, he may be um, encountered? From what he tells me, most of his class fellows, they, uh, they admire him because they know he's different. And they feel what he's doing is very cool. And then, of course, there are others who think that it's a waste of time. And why is he always drawing? So it's like a 50-50 response from his fellow classmates. But mostly, I, from what I've heard, is that the kids like him. And they like what he's doing. That's really nice. Let's say it again. Like I think it's absolutely important that we uh, try to push forward that kids draw in school, especially when they when they have access to information this way much quicker. It's like it would be a waste of their lifetime, right? Right. And yeah, so to all parents out there, if your child has here and there difficulties to memorize or to make sense of something more complex, maybe start doodling. Absolutely. Um, 
on top of that, when you look forward, like your kids getting older, like or your your other projects, you you have done all those online courses and and trainings, an amazing experience, and your your doodles look great. Like you you plan on starting a professional career with that, or what is the, what do you do? Do you would like to meet others? parents who have like a similar experience like what is the project you would like to do in the future well marcel earlier this year i attended a doodle summit uh once again which was hosted by the doodle institute it was an online summit and one of the components of the summit was uh, that the participants were asked to launch one visual product and i kind of took up this challenge and have worked on a book uh, which i've titled uh, 50 fun facts fully illustrated, where I've illustrated 50 facts for kids to read. So the book was inspired by Mike Laurie's work. Mm -hmm. He was one of the faculty at Sketchbook School in the Whimsical Sketchbook course that I took. And it showcases uh, my visual thinking abilities while making some fun content to keep kids busy. (laughs) Great. And you mean like uh, Mike Laurie's book, uh, The Sketchbook Handbook? Mike Lowry is an author illustrator and he's he's done I think it's the book the name of the book is uh, random facts and he's illustrated these facts and I thought it was so oh. fascinating uh, and he was one of the faculty in a course that I took from sketchbook school the whimsical sketchbook mm-hmm. and I was very fascinated with his work because it it resonated with my style of work which is uh, strong line drawings and and I was like hey you know maybe I could do something uh, just like Mike Lowry. And, and that's when I started putting together this book. So it's almost complete. I've put it up for publication on Create Space. I'm just waiting for it to come up online and then I'll start sharing it on my social media feeds. Where I am right now, uh, Marcel, there's not much market for graphic recording and facilitating in my context. So I'd love to work remotely with people around the globe to visualize their ideas. I mean, I've done some work with the Doodle Institute in the past. And Mm. one of my uh, friends from the Doodle Institute asked me to do some work for one of their books. And I did a couple of illustrations and I did a little bit of uh, visualization for content there. But as far as doing it professionally in my context might not be a reality because not too many people know about it. It's a very, very new idea. It's very fresh. People either don't understand it or might not take to it. Uh, But the good thing is that I am a member of the Global Doodle Network uh, that is also part of the Doodle Institute. So I'm up there with other graphic recorders. And if anybody wants my help with visualizing their ideas, I'd be happy to work with them. Very nice. I just have a question. Can we see a sneak preview of one of the pages or one of the 50 fun facts? Of your book, oh, that would be sure. We could put it in the on the on the blog post of the uh, podcast episode. It would be amazing to see like a pre sneaking in and seeing a sneak preview <laughs> of it. So, do oh, you have sure, a date, sure. can... publishing date, or you already know when when it will be out? I've already submitted it to Create Space, and I've just approved the proof. So that's the cover. That's what the cover looks like. And uh, I'm just going to send you another JPEG of a couple of pages so that you can see the kind of work that I've done there. Uh, But I'm hoping for it to be out in the next couple of days. I put this into the show note and um, then hopefully you sell a lot of them. The cover looks amazing. Um, Thank you. This is really, I'm already laughing. And uh, yeah, look, go to the the blog post and then you'll find uh, Melaine's work there. (laughs) Melaine, 
when I listen to you, I want to be completely frank and think this is something I, I feel like I don't know about the education industry in Pakistan. I, I'm I'm just saying that from 20,000 kilometers away, like if I'm in Germany or in Australia, it's both far away or 10,000 kilometers. I think you are in the center of the change. When you work in this field and have this big background, you, you, you stand your ground already with uh, 16 years of, of career experience in this field. I think there is a fair chance that you can put facts together why it's so useful. Like if you think of Sonny Brown's talk about like the Doodle Revolution and, and Doodlers Unite in this way, there are a lot of facts that are actually back you up and, and it would be amazing to hear, uh, have you back on the podcast one day where you say, well, we changed Pakistan's education system. Doodling is now mandatory in all schools. How would that be? That would be super cool. Like I, I had someone on the podcast who's a principal on a, on a primary school and she was behind that. So we, we, we convert one person at the time to be a visual mm -hmm. thinker. And I think, I don't know about your, your work there, but I think... When you publish books now and, and you have these stories to tell, this is amazing. People like that too, I think, listen to it. Thank you, Marcel, for your <laughs> faith in me. Uh, <laughs> that's a really tall order. Yeah. But I will always make an effort to bring visual thinking out to people. I'm never going to stop, that's nice. for sure. So yes, um, if I make any inroads in the future, you in the future might get an email from me saying, Marcel, I've been able to do something. And I'll be happy to come back on the podcast and talk about it. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, worries, no worries at all. Yeah. Are there any questions I should have asked you that I haven't? Like, is there anything you would like to share before we wrap up? I just wanted to give a message out to mm -hmm. kids. I just want to reiterate my message to them. Never, ever stop believing in yourself. If you want to draw, just draw. Uh, don't let people judge you. Don't let people get to you. Follow your passion. And uh, a little message for the parents, doodle everywhere and on everything, doodle your market list, map your ideas with your kids together, draw out concepts and ideas, learn, problem solve, generate ideas, do it all as you doodle. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Melaine and me. And if you found it useful, maybe you have kids yourself, please share with us what your insight was and maybe what ideas you have to use visualization in the field of education of our kids. Again, please subscribe to our channel and give us a thumbs up on iTunes and on Spotify, wherever you listen to us. Have an awesome day and see you soon.